Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. During the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speaker's secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts, and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team, and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi everyone, in today's episode, we will speak with Merat Nyangmai, the Teradu Director for the program Climate Tech for VC and partner at Cool Climate Collective. Climate Change for VC program by Teradu, launched by Susan Su, is a six-week intensive program for active venture investors who are seeking to get the latest in climate science and solutions and explore ways that they can make a meaningful and profitable difference in the climate crisis. Cool Climate Collective syndicate started in 2021 with Tristan Pollock, X500. Merat seeks to invest in early stage climate tech companies alongside a number of great investors and angels. I was excited to have Merat on the show, who was also judging our latest quarterly climate tech pitch competition with his partner Tristan, as I wanted to learn more about his very unique story, which started in Dubai and then moved between LA and San Francisco. During this journey, Merat has been wearing many different hats as a successful entrepreneur, product manager, supporter of various initiatives in the growing Dubai startup ecosystem and now supporting the climate tech movement by investing and teaching others to invest with the Climate Tech VC program. During the show, Merat will give greater detail into the Teradu Climate Tech VC program and the high value fellowship network. 
covering how the program works and how they can help you to build your thesis and start investing in climate tech founders very quickly. Then we'll cover the Cool Climate Collective Syndicate investment thesis and how they support founders at the early stage. He will also share his very interesting views on the climate tech ecosystem today and how the Emirates see the new waves of climate tech companies seeking to disturb traditional oil-based economies in the Middle East. Finally, he will highlight underdogs areas in climate tech in which he sees exciting potential for investment and growth. In the second part of the show, Merat will share his secret sauce that can increase your odds to fundraise successfully. Then future investors in the climate tech space will learn interesting advice on how to build your investment thesis. Lastly, you will hear valuable tips on achieving work-life balance for founders and investors in the fast-paced world. Merat, welcome to the show. Hi, Merat. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. We are super happy and excited to have you uh, here with us today for a new episode of our investor series. Thank you for having me, Guillaume. You're welcome. So before we start, uh, as I was mentioning before, uh, before the interview, can you give us like a, a 30 second uh, introduction about, uh, you know, uh, the Climate Tech VC program that you uh, are running with uh, Teradu uh, and uh, your syndicate Cool Climate Collective uh, that you started with uh, Tristan Pollock? Sure. Uh, first on the Teradu program that I, I co-run with Susan, she's the original program creator and I support her in that. And what we try and do is educate traditional VC, uh, corporate VCs, uh, family offices, and angel investors to develop their climate investment thesis. So this doesn't necessarily mean they are climate tech VCs before they come into the program, but we hope when they leave that we help them develop their thesis. And I can go further into what that means. Uh, and on the other side, I actually do some investing, like you said, through the Cool Climate Collective with Tristan. And we tend to focus on 100, 200K checks, and we find ourselves to be a strategic investor because our LPs tend to be operators like myself and Tristan. So that's us. Fantastic. So let's start from the from the top, as uh, we usually like to, to do, is to put the, 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 the guest speaker uh, as a human in the center of the, uh, of the equation. Uh, so can you tell us a bit more about uh, your personal story uh, and background, uh, I mean, I saw that uh, you're founders, but you also have the, this hat of product manager and uh, investors running the program. So many different uh, different successful hats that uh, that you have. And maybe uh, you can share with us also any you know specific uh, things that you love to do, not to do, that are not public yet. We love to hear that. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, where do I start? So as a human, I would say uh, I consider myself something called a third culture kid. So I actually spent my childhood living in Dubai and then I moved to rural Pennsylvania and during my high school years and then in California for the rest of my years. And uh, I, when I would get the question, where are you from? It's all over the place. So I was born in Los Angeles, but I grew up in Dubai and my parents are Iranian immigrants. So it, it's always a tough question to answer. And w how did I get into, I guess, the startup scene and climate tech. So climate tech is actually a bit newer for me. Like you said, I, I wore many hats over the last decade uh, as a founder, initially as a project manager, became, uh, I pitched the a startup idea to the corporate I was working for. That was my first spin-off venture. So I was a founder there, but 
over this time, I got I really love product. So I, I I realized I love ideating with other founders. So as a, during this time I was in Dubai, and this is 2010, uh, the Dubai startup ecosystem was starting to grow, but it wasn't what we know as a startup ecosystem at that time. It was still very nascent. And I realized that there's a lot of support I could do or help the community or the ecosystem grow through my own learnings as a founder. And uh, so I started to work with some incubators and starting volunteering my time with some of the accelerators. And that slowly led me to develop some of the programs for entrepreneurs in the city. So I was very agnostic to industry. Climate tech is rather new for me. I would just say the last two and a half years is when I really started to go on my own climate journey and explore this space further and deeper. And I had a wake up call, I think to go full on in, it was in 2020 when I moved back to California and I saw the wildfire. So growing up, I don't recall seeing that many wildfires and that was my wake up call, aha moment, I would say, to paying attention to this a bit deeper. I had always been exposed to, I guess, climate tech startups, especially living in the Middle East. Uh, we had a thermal energy storage company go through the Techstars Dubai program element 16. And I thought, okay, I can help them out by making some introductions, but I never really thought of it as the climate. I always looked at it. This is a great business opportunity. It's an efficiency play. Uh, and, you know, some on-site power plant industry companies can utilize that. Uh, so I consider myself new to the climate space, relatively new compared to others who've been here different decades. I'm part of the climate tech 2.0 movement, uh, but I, I definitely believe in it. And that's why a lot of my work today is focused on that, but yeah, happy to go deeper into any, any of my past as well. So, <laughs> fantastic! And um, I, I guess you, you you mentioned like you you knew into this uh, new climatic uh, climatic movement that was uh, seeing you no know, uh, pushing and surging since the last uh, couple of years. Do you see any difference, maybe uh, compared to, to to before to this uh, what we are calling this uh, clean tech, uh, you know, bubble ten years ago? Uh, I'm sure like a lot of uh, your peers and people that, that uh, you have in the program also uh, speak about that can be also sometimes a little bit like the, you know, the, the for traditional VC, a little bit like, whoa, I remember 10 years ago, we lost a lot of money or some, some people lost a lot of money there. Uh, do you see any difference there or not? No, I, I think that one, when we do see a lot of money coming into this space, we see a lot of capital growing in this space. I think there's been reports in terms of it's, it's growing as fast as AI was growing a few years ago. So that, that's definitely like a, a signal that capital is moving in. But in this case, I, I think it's a bit more uh, planned or more strategically aligned to what the industry trends and consumer trends are. So it's slightly different than uh, before. It was, you know, trying to get something off the ground and, you know, very capital intensive type of businesses. So a lot of the, the busts that did happen were around solar panels and, certain very infrastructure type plays. That doesn't mean we aren't doing those plays today, but it also means there's a lot more opportunities in consumer trends, in biology, deep tech. We see it all across the board. And actually one of the main things we do cover in our program is to think of climate as not a specific industry. It's a horizontal that hits upon every industry. So when we talk to generalist funds, and more even those with a specific industry, let's say they were in prop tech because they focus on real estate. We, we tend to look at it and say, well, you can't consider your existing portfolio being safe in a new climate adjusted world. So how do you mitigate? How do you adapt to that? And how do you think of the future of construction in your industry? So I, I think 
climate today is a bit broader and that's in a good way where it, it hits upon every industry and sometimes people don't realize they're investing in a climate tech company they just think oh, well this is a better material this is a better use of the the money it's a bit more efficient use so i i, I guess yeah that's no, de definitely, and I, and I think the decarbonization of the economy, I mean, I was reading recently, uh, if we really want to uh, decarbonize this whole economy, which is an incredible, uh, you know, uh, business opportunity out of that uh, massive trade that we're all facing, we require like 3 trillion uh, investments on a yearly basis until uh, 2030, uh, according some, uh, to some stats. So uh, definitely, uh, there's a lot that still need to, uh, to be done. That's kind of like my, my segue for the, the, the next question in terms of the ecosystem, uh, the climate tech ecosystem today. Can you give us like your overview? Uh, where are we at today in terms of uh, maturity of the ecosystem? And you mentioned that it's uh, uh, two years, two years and a half, four for certain funds, uh, you know, but really like it's not uh, since 2020 in a way that uh, we hear a lot uh, more about, about it in itself. Um, and in a way with this, this stage uh, where we are today, what needs to happen to have the, 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 the ecosystem fully uh, being fully mature uh, to support uh, all of those companies, uh, all of those startups that can really then uh, contribute to reach the 2050 uh, net zero goal? I think uh, if I go back to what I was thinking earlier, where we saw that boom in AI, if you think about it, a lot of companies got on board the AI boom, and it wasn't truly the startups, it was the corporates where they realized there's, there's a use case here, there's business efficiencies and stakeholders will love it. So I think we're starting to see that type of maturity with climate. So in the past, you know, people used to use, or they do still do, but yeah, they would come up with ESG commitments. But I think now it's starting to go beyond, I would say a level of greenwashing and actually starting to realize that there are efficiency gains it can be more profitable to utilize some of these new technologies, materials that are coming out. And that's where I'm starting to see, I guess, maturity, but maturity also means in terms of exits, I mean, or, or not even exits, just in terms of the valuations that we're getting at in terms of companies like beyond, I would say beyond, beyond me in the past, you know, IPO, so those investors got their money, well, multiple returns. Uh, but let's say Tesla, for example, like Tesla in itself is something that one valuation has gone through the roof, but beyond that, it's created a shift in the general auto industry. And that in itself is where I think maturity, where you see consumer trends are starting to accept this. And now that means all auto industries have to adjust to it. So if you, you think about maturity, it doesn't truly really mean, I guess, the startups growing. I think it also means how our own trends as a society, government to some extent, but I think more consumers are starting to demand it. And when they demand it, I think it just, it leads to economics because they're the ones who purchase and buy. So when you think of more efficient homes, you know, in terms of insulation or energy efficiency, well, why don't we slowly start to see you know, brands like Zillow or, you know, these uh, property finding websites start to list uh, energy efficiency standards. And, you know, some of them actually do now in the, in the U.S., they, they do have flood risk. So some of them are actually thinking of the climate dangers in certain yeah. homes, certain locations. But I, I, start, I actually think 
this can actually translate into more efficiency gains and consumers will start to care more about that. What is your HVAC? Is it an electric heat pump? Is it... So these are things that we, we still don't see it, but I think it's getting there and consumers are waking up to it. They're asking their contractors, they're asking for these better materials because it's cost savings at the end of the day. I think economics plays a huge role in maturity and that's the difference we're starting to see in this 2.0 movement versus that 1.0 movement. Those solar panels that Solyndra made and Solyndra went back, they weren't cost efficient. They weren't economical as a business. And, you know, so that's the difference I see today. Yeah, and I think we see like, uh, at least from, from, from Europe, and I, I think it's the same in the US as well right now, uh, definitely the, the, the increase in terms of uh, the price of uh, basic fossil fuels uh, in itself, uh, going to the roof, uh, you know, at the fuel station, uh, all of that makes in a way more viable uh, all the other alternatives, the EVs, hydrogen and stuff like that. So everything that will uh, in a way compensate uh, in, and find pure alternative to that with the strong economic push behind that will also uh, makes, uh, you know, accelerate the, the movement. So that's that's also like a, a question that I wanted to ask you. Uh, and I mentioned, you mentioned your, uh, your tight with uh, with Dubai and, and, uh, and the Middle East. And uh, so how is the, the Middle East seeing uh, this new wave of, of regulation uh, that are starting to, uh, to pop up uh, around the world, this new wave of tech of uh, innovation in, in, in technology that in a way go against the consumption of uh, fossil uh, fossil fuels uh, are they betting on it or some of them are like thinking this climate tech revolution is still like something closer to uh, to utopia can you give us a little bit like the, the sense that you you feel and hear and see uh, over there yeah i mean uh so even though I, I mostly live in the States now, when I do come visit Dubai, I start to see my own thoughts of, around climate starting to be implemented on a government level. So uh, Dubai has always been, I guess, a bit future forward and my own experience with them and the Dubai Future Foundation, where can you imagine a government entity has a specific division of the government that focuses on the future? So you can already think how future forward thinking they are. But I think it comes back to understanding that uh, Dubai is not as oil rich as their neighbor, Abu Dhabi or, or Saudi. So uh, they've always had an eye on what the future is. And then from, I guess, inception, it, it, you know, it was around trade and travel and tourism. That was their initial strategy, I guess, as a you know, FDI strategy or economic strategy for the city. But I think what we start to see now is they also start to understand that there is one commitments that people accept of world leaders and they start to see themselves on the world stage more there in the spotlight and they want to make sure that they do good by the rest of the world. So that's one. So it could be a bit of a, I guess, a publicity play, but on top of that, they are starting to invest in, you know, grid resilience and a lot of these factors come into the new energy source and renewable. So at the end, even though, you know, it, it fossil fuels and, um, oil sales or oil price benefit them, they're reinvesting that for themselves into very climate oriented mission. And it, right, it starts domestically. I think anyone who's thinking about renewables and all that, yes, we think globally, but at the end of the day, as a national policy, everyone has to think domestically and having renewables coupled with the right storage, it's probably one of the best resilient where you're not uh, 
at the mercy of what the markets dictate in terms of fossil fuel prices. You know, if you have your own renewable source and you have a storage facility, uh, storage for that type of energy, uh, you are in a better position than someone else who's at the mercy of the markets. So I, I think it's a mix of uh, what they portray to the world, but also their own investments. So yeah, we, we're, we see a lot. And actually, I, I was recently at the World Expo, Expo 2020, uh, and they have a whole theme around sustainability. And there's some interesting technologies they're showcasing there. But again, that's not fully implemented for the whole city. But I guess it's a sneak peek of what's to come, hopefully. Right. So. That's exciting. Thank you for sharing. So um, let's go back into the, the specific of uh, the Climate Tech uh, VC program uh, that you are running with, uh, with Teradu. Can you tell us a bit more about like, the, the story behind it uh, and, and how does it work? I mean, who should, uh, who should apply? Who is coming? Uh, what kind of like, uh, content program that you, uh, that, you, that you provide to those, uh, to those uh, attendees of the, of the program? Uh, we want to know everything. Tell us. It looks amazing. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so Terra, I'll, I'll just give a quick overview. Of Terra's mission is to, I guess, enable 100 million people to move into the climate space. And then Susan, who is the program creator or, or the course creator for the one I, I support on, had this idea that, well, if we can also move capital into this space or we can, you know, get these people who are, you know, in charge of large sums of capital for investing and can start focusing it in this area, that itself is another catalyst for change. So who we, I guess, focus on is broad. Uh, like I said, initially, angel investors is a you know, very, very simple level on an individual level, but you know, some of these angels are also syndicate leads. Um, then we have the VCs, which are generalist funds, some, some also climate funds, but specifically more the generalist funds and also the corporate VCs. So if I want to like name some of the alumni of our program, we've had individuals from Andreessen Horowitz, we've had JetBlue Ventures, which is JetBlue's corporate venture arm, Stanley X, which is Stanley Black and Decker's venture arm, Salesforce. So we have, I guess, the corporate VCs as well starting to look at this space. And you know, some, some of them already were looking at it from, I guess, a social impact component, but we're diving deeper purely into, I guess, the climate tech aspect. And like I said, we hope to support them in one, developing that thesis, but also exposing them. So the program is divided into the initial two to three weeks is very focused on the science and the understanding, because you need that as a foundation before you can even start assessing deals and understanding where we need to focus on, where the solutions lie, where the opportunities lie. And then the next three weeks is, it's a mix of, you know, digging deeper into some of these opportunity spaces, but also hearing from other prolific, I guess, funds. So we, we have um, we have congruent ventures and uh, breakthrough energy ventures. Speakers come give their thinking of how they develop their thesis, how they look at deals, how they do their due diligence. So, it, you know, to start, you know, expose them to the understanding the science and, you know, uh, I guess a bit of the policy as well and wh what that means in terms of opportunities. And then hear from people who are capitalizing on those opportunities. And like I said, a lot of people come in without a proper climate thesis or aren't, don't know much about climate. And it's great for them because it adds that new lens, a new perspective for them to look at their own existing portfolio and their future investments. But there's also those who already were focusing on climate 
and we offer this opportunity to engage with a cohort of peers. So the, the group is about you know 25 to 35 people every time, and it's very, I guess, communal to some degree, and we host something called our investment committees weekly, where we, we get to gather around as common investors, and we get to share our thoughts, where, where, where's our thinking at? You know, I, I wanna bounce ideas off you. So we, we host these on a weekly basis, and I think that's where, beyond the programming and, and the learning from others, that's the learning from the peer community. And, and that's where, it, you know, it kind of creates this camaraderie of, you know, this network effect that, you know, I know you're into this, the next time I'm looking at a deal, maybe I'll tap into you and, you know, get your insights. So uh, we really hope to further support them. And, and that's why the program is now extended into a larger membership, it's an annual membership, where we really want to just hone in on that community that we're developing. And, you know, everyone who's at least investing in the space is welcome. There is an application process, but as long as you are uh, an accredited investor investing, interested in investing in this space or are doing investments, you know, welcome to come develop your thesis and you know, engage in the community. Definitely, I, I should go, uh, go and, and, and look at it, definitely. So uh, maybe, you know, uh, as you have like this, this view of like, on one side you have those uh, corporate VCs, uh, traditional investors from, you know, venture firms and uh, traditional tech investors joined uh, the, the, the program in a way to uh, educate themselves or convert themselves into uh, maybe opening like a subsection of the, of the fund uh, focusing on, on, on climate in itself. But can you tell us a little bit more about like what makes in a way uh, a good climate tech investors versus a traditional uh, tech uh, investors? Uh, is there any difference? Is there like anything specific that you find that, okay, that's a, a different way to approach things? Uh, do you have any like uh, difference that you have been seeing or experience on, on that in between those two uh, different worlds or, or maybe there's nothing different and it's just about being good investors? Yeah, I mean, like in my mind, I, I would fall more into the latter of what you said in terms of being a good investor because I, I tend to, and if we're going to talk about how we do our thesis at the Cool Climate Collective, we tend to look at deals. We know it's a climate startup or deal by looking at it and understanding the impact. Although there are some funds and some entities that utilize tools, like Prime Impact has a great tool called Crane Tool, cranetool.org. And it's a way for you to kind of like assess and measure potential impact. But a lot of times when we understand the market size, you know, that's, you know, traditional methods have to understand the market size and you understand the theory of change or what exactly it's doing, what the, the company hopes to do in terms of entering the market, disrupting the market, and once you start putting those two together, you get this sense of the impact. Like for us, we don't typically measure it, but I know there are people who I guess are more prolific and specific climate investors who do that, which is great. But there's also others who just see a great opportunity. I see a great SaaS play. I see the opportunity of X number of companies and markets adopting this SaaS product. That's a great investment. <laughs> So like, like I said, like, uh, I, I, I tend to subscribe, like, if you understand markets and you understand how things move, you will be a great climate tech investor because, as I said, trends are changing towards this. Consumer yeah. trends are going this way. You start to look at business trends. And that's where I think there needs to still be a bit more, I guess, movement of the needle of corporates adopting more climate policy or climate thinking. 
but we're getting there. And I, I think that's just the way things are moving and shifting. You know, some people are going to fall behind, but we even see, you know, uh, activist stakeholders get, getting board seats at uh, certain fossil fuel companies. And this in itself is that shift that I'm talking about. So whether you do it today or you're, you're going to end up doing it in the next five to 10 years. So whether you're thinking of climate or not, you're going to be doing climate in the next five to 10 years. So it's like, don't you want to get in early? <laughs> 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 that makes sense. So uh, let's probably check it out about the, the Cool Climate Collective, uh, you know, thesis uh, and, and maybe the story behind it. I and mean, you started with, uh, with Tristan uh, Pollock that uh, I had a chance to, to meet and know uh, since uh, many years now when he was at the uh, founder startups. Um, so tell me a little bit more like uh, what happened, how did you guys meet? And then what's the, the, the thesis uh, behind it, uh, type of ticket size that you, uh, you, you put and and it's a syndicate. So, uh, who's in the who's in the syndicate today? Okay, yeah, sure. I, I mean, uh, how do we start? So, I was doing angel investing in, in this space for the, for the last year, but I had not, I guess, formalized any type of fund or syndicate around it. And part of court, the second court we ran for the Terra program, uh, Tristan was a participant, and that's where I met Tristan, and we. We had some office hour calls. We, we, we started hanging out a bit more and talking more around his background, my background. We both have that, I guess, founder operator background. We, we love supporting entrepreneurs. And he had experience, you know, running a fund of sorts and also a syndicate in the past. And at the same time, I had this, I guess, larger climate network where I to learn, like just to give a quick backdrop, when I wanted to learn about climate, I got involved with these various online communities, my climate journey, work on climate. I just jumped into all these different climate communities and I learned by supporting or engaging in projects. So one of the projects I did, we, we launched a board game called Solutions the Game. Like we, we launched a climate board game ba based on Drawdown's um, work uh, inspired by it. But pretty much the main uh, takeaway is I was exposed to many great entrepreneurs and my small angel check was not going to cut what they need for their pre-seed or seed. And these were always very early. A lot of them are, tend to be tech transfer or someone coming out of university or out of some research lab has some interesting concept, has now partnered with a co-founder who is more of a business-sided operational person. And we see the potential in the team. So we like that. And now when I started telling him, like, you know, there's these great opportunities that we're, you know, I'm seeing and we can, you know, further you know, support. That's where the idea kind of came together. We're like, you know what, we should do a syndicate and we should reach out to our own network and develop an LP base for about 300 LPs now. Uh, and I would say the background of most is they tend to be operators of some kind. Although I would say maybe, maybe about a hundred or so do have a climate background, either as a climate founder or as an investor of another fund they have or a syndicate they run. And they're, they're also an LP in our fund. Uh, in our uh, syndicate, but uh, the majority, we're trying to pull in, I guess, our old uh, network uh, of, you know, a great digital marketer, you know, th they want to do angel messing, but they also can potentially be a value add of, you know, can you get on a call with the founder when we make an ask out to our LPs? So we, we see ourselves as a strategic, I guess, smart money in a way. At, at the end, we, we won't be able to compete with a fund. <laughs> we're talking about 100, 200K checks. But we tend to be very early. We, we see these opportunities very early. We, we tend to like them also very early, even before maybe another fund has gone on board. 
and you know we, we start to maybe do introductions to funds we know and you know tell them hey would you also be interested in coming in on this deal so we try and open up our network uh and try and support one through the lp base but even beyond that even if it's not the lp base tristan is well networked through his 500 days and, and myself I, I have a bit of uh, a network that we can tap into and we try and help our founders in any way we can beyond just a check so uh, i think that's yeah that's speaking about the speaking about the the, the founders uh, i mean you guys launched the the, the collective uh, i think it was like mid september or something like that uh, yeah. did you guys uh, had the chance to to close some uh, some deals and, uh, and maybe who are the, the, the profile? I mean, you mentioned early stage, uh, really, really early stage, just what you're looking at. Uh, who should come to pitch you? Yeah, so I would say early stage. Yeah, we, we launched early September and we just closed our fourth deal now in the last month. Congrats. Uh, last, last week. Uh, and I would say, I think they're finalized now. Yeah, they, they should be finalized. I, I'll, I'll, I'll at least tell you a bit about the ones I know that are 100% closed. legal documents done so uh yeah like we like i said we like ideas that are very early that many people may be passed on because it maybe seems a bit too outlandish but we like the opportunity or the disruptive power but doesn't necessarily mean they're going to disrupt a a specific company but it means they're going to disrupt that market they're going to shift how that market thinks so one of the ones we have backed is a synthetic asparagopsis play. So th- this asparagopsis is well known for being, you know, a type of feed additive you can give to ruminants like cows to reduce their same burps. And they've come up with a way to rather than focus on how other asparagopsis companies focus, they, t- they tend to focus on growth. How can we improve the growth uh, environment? How can we make it grow faster? This synthetic asparagopsis play is, no, let's take something that already grows quickly, something like kelp, and can we give it the same chemical properties as asparagopsis? And can it be safe and stable to feed the cow? So the very early stage still, but like that, that's a bet we make. But at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean, uh, we, like we got pushback from our LPs in terms of that, in a way, if this is super successful, this can give the beef industry a bit more life <laughs> like it, it, it gets it gives them a reason to not be the bad guys anymore which which is great for them but a lot of people say no the future is alternative meat it's alternative proteins so that also doesn't mean we also don't think alternative proteins and another deal we did is an alternative protein play uh and so i would say we are open to everything based on the opportunity and we even have a a high-level thesis that we we break down a bit. I, I can go deeper into that, but but just a, the takeaway is we like early-stage deals because that's where we think a lot of our value add can come in through our operator network, but also ourselves, my, myself and Tristan. And, and then on top of that, it, we love to introduce them to the funds we work with as well. So you know, our check is small, but we support them much longer, bigger as well as we can. So that's. Thank you. But th- thank you so much for, for sharing. It's super interesting. Um, so maybe I, I always like to ask like to, to investors if there's any like 
you know, uh, sector that they think are the most promising uh, for them today in terms of like what we called uh, impact uh, cash return or ICR, meaning, you know, building impactful companies while creating highly profitable uh, business. Do you see any maybe underdogs or subsectors or areas that uh, investors should look at and where you see a lot of like promising, uh, uh, you know, potentials? You mentioned I mean, a lot already I mean, in thesis, but maybe yeah. one or two, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit biased because I actually see a lot of opportunity in synthetic biology, so synbio space, and, uh, you know, this idea that we can create the, the, the minerals and the materials we need for the next level. So I, I'm very bullish on that. But at the same time, that's where I actually see and think their ICR, as you said, is, is closer to being realized. But there is something more holy grail, like the nuclear fusion aspect, uh, nuclear fusion and geothermal that I also am a big fan of. I just don't know what the ICR or return is. Like, we still haven't figured that out fully, but I think we're getting there. But synthetic biology, I think, is less risk. Like, it's starting to be proven with CRISPR. And, you know, there, the technologies exist. And it's now about applying the processes to the problem sets that we want to. So I, I'm a bit very bullish on synthetic biology. Another one is ocean tech, which mm -hmm. uh, I think is always fascinating just because how the ocean can be utilized as a sink, but also the, it it can create a lot of things we require as well, material-wise. So like, yeah, uh, uh, synthetic biology is my, my, my <laughs> go-to that I've put out there. All right. So guys, if you listen to that, uh, go and check it out about uh, synthetic biology for sure. Uh, so we'd like to ask also, like, what's your personal view on the on the climate crisis in itself? I mean, are we doomed? Uh, what would you say to people who feel, you know, demoralized and by all those terrible news uh, and already in a way visible consequences of, of climate change? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, there's no denying that we are starting to see the, the consequences of this and there's no denying them you know the recent leaks i guess that came out that some countries even though on one front are saying that they are for gold on the other they're trying to uh, lobby to change some of the ipcc report wording and like so like this is the reality that we live in that there are still some actors out there that don't not to say they don't believe in it but it's not incentivized enough or they don't the cost benefit is still more leaning. It's leaning more towards them not wanting to do something. So that's very negative. But I, I guess I'm an optimist in, in a way. And uh, well, one doing the things I do, but on top of that, I think this is a fascinating time where new technologies, new innovations are going to be the things that I guess, I don't want to save the day because that's still like, uh, but, but that are going to be the things that help us out. And I think it's a fascinating time to be coming across these companies, these technologies. And I think we're so interconnected now that the speed things change at is remarkable. And what that means is we don't know what five years from now looks like. Yes, things don't look good in terms of certain reports and all that, but I think it was a week ago or, or last week, where Charm Industrial like just put out their report of how much carbon dioxide removal they were able to do with their tech, and you know they're they're a very young company. Like th these are things that are you know maybe they're not massively moving the needle right now, but it makes us hopeful. And I think 
one has to be optimistic when you see technology and innovation being applied in such ways. So, yes, no, I, I'm I'm optimistic, and I hope other people, when they realize what is happening and what technologies are out there, I hope they are also become optimistic in this space. I think we have uh, not not that, that that many choices. You know, we need to uh, keep uh, keep moving. Try to be uh, as much uh, as possible optimistic in the, in that. And it's true when you walk in the in the space, especially in the climate tech space, you see so many high uh, you know interesting people, new technologies being developed, and so many uh, capital deployed around that. So we need to uh, we need to keep this, this excitement for sure. So how can the the community uh, can help you today? The, the tech community of listeners, yeah, the te- exactly. So all the listeners are like, uh, you know, they've been listening to you and they're like, okay, Merat, I want to get in touch with you. I want to do something. How can we help you? Yeah, I mean, yes, please feel free to reach out. But uh, I, I think the biggest thing is in the ways you've heard me now say where I focus on. So whether it's uh, educating or supporting investors in this space, but on the other side, also the founders. So reach out to me if you're either of these, if you are uh, interested to even learn more about the space in in those two different capacities. So, yeah, I I mean, I guess help is how can I help them (laughs) and and in a way support them. So if I don't know about you or I don't know about these certain things, I can't help (laughs) or I can't support. So uh, the way to help me is by making me aware of, of certain technologies, founders, I guess even investors in some way. But yeah. Fantastic. So, Richard, to, uh, to Marat, uh, any question that I should have asked you for this part of the show that I did not? Oh, <laughs> you flipped the, the script on, on me. Uh, no, I think uh, we covered a lot, actually. I think, yeah, it's good. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> cool. So thank you so much, uh, Marat. It was a pleasure to have you uh, with us today. Thanks so much for all of those uh, very interesting insights. Uh, thank you so much for everything that uh, that you do, also for the uh, the climate tech ecosystem and pushing forward and uh, and encouraging those uh, new emerging uh, you know fund managers and investing in companies as well. Uh, so thank you so much. It was a very uh, big pleasure to have you uh, with us today. Thank you, Guillaume. It was wonderful speaking to you. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbasecamp.org to discover more episodes like this one and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.